0: All right. Hey, everybody, it's a percussion podcast. We're back from our big summer break. Thanks for hanging in there with us. I hope you got to catch up on some old episodes and yeah, thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for everyone who's been uh, sponsoring and a patron. Just a reminder, you can join our Patreon if you like the show and want to support the show. We do have some costs, so we really appreciate those of you patrons who've been with us and uh, anyone who wants to join. That would be just great. It is July 31st, we're recording, but you're probably listening on release date, which is August 12th. So let's see what else is there to say. I'm Casey Cangelosi, and with me, I've got all the regular co-host team here, and we'll start over there with Ben Charles. How's it going, Ben? Hey, Casey, doing well, how are you? Doing good, thanks, buddy. And then we'll go over to Carly Vina. Hey, Carly.
1: Hey, Casey. You know, this, this being July 31st, it feels like the first back to school end of summer kind of
0: thing this is my this is my first back to school activity doing the podcast yeah that's right hey speaking of back to school we haven't announced your big your big gig award you're winning a new gig shenandoah conservatory congratulations that's really cool
1: and thank you so much i'm so excited
0: and ksenia kimianovich is here hey ksenia
1: hello hello nice to see you all again
0: Yep. It's good to be back. So release date is August 12th and we have the death date of a very significant composer in percussion. And I think that's appropriate because we're going to try to make this episode kind of percussion composition focused. So I'll give you all a hint who this composer is and I'll do it by, we're going to perform his probably most famous composition starting right now, three, two. And if you you guess who this is, just yell it out. Three, Two, one,
1: go. This goes on for another couple minutes. If anybody
0: has a guess, go As ahead, Pius.
1: Guess if we read the show notes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pius, right there with up- you, Carly. <laughs> Pius, Pius looks upset. <laughs> He's so lame. (laughs) That's right. It's John Cage. So his most famous composition is Four Thirty Three. That's four minutes thirty three seconds of silence. And so yeah, John Cage died today on release day, August twelfth, and it was nineteen ninety two. I did see his obituary. It was uh, pretty cool to read the original thing. And it uh occupied the lower right hand corner of the front page of the new york times so it wasn't like humongous big spread but it was on the front page but it read that uh john cage 79 a minimalist enchanted with sound dies i thought it was interesting like minimalist was the first thing that comes up and minimalist is something that was said throughout the obituary and of course they they talk about other things he did but uh, the word minimalist kept coming up i thought that was kind of interesting because Uh, that's not really how we talk about John Cage first and foremost. I I think I could
2: could see for a a non musician, not knowing what we call minimalism. I could, I could understand the approach because there's so much softness to it, but yeah, that's kind of a weird musical term to apply to John Cage.
0: Well, it kind of made me think like sometimes these terms, they really form like some years after and not that it's that long ago. I mean, it was 1992. You know, I mean, in my mind, like what that was was really firmed up. But you're right. It's, it's the New York Times. They're talking to everybody. So who knows? But I just thought I'd read one quick little thing from the obituary um, straight from it. In the music world, of course, Mr. Cage's influence was extremely far-reaching. He started a revolution by proposing that composers could jettison the musical language that had evolved over the last seven centuries. And in doing so, he opened the door to minimalism, performance art, and virtually every other branch of the musical avant-garde. Composers as different in style from one another and from Mr. Cage, such as Philip Glass, Morton Feldman, Earl Brown, and Frederick Zhevsky, have cited Mr. Cage as a beacon that helped light their own path. I thought it was really cool so although Cage was uh, as we know him, he was so influential to everyone else And if any young listeners out there, if you haven't really like gone on a Google rabbit hole of John Cage yet, you totally should and if the first piece you hear you aren't too into, Google another one. It's something so cool about him like they're all so different. like like he kind of has his own little genres. And there's a, there's like several styles within this one composer. So yeah, just just keep digging and uh, enjoy. So yeah, today is about composition. And you've already heard from one of our guests today. We've got two folks who've been on the show before. Uh, so Friends of the show, personal friends of mine. And I'm not going to go into their big bios because a lot of you probably know these two already, but they're they're really renowned composers, especially in the percussion world and all of our students play their stuff. I've played their stuff. A lot of us play their stuff. And it's uh, Gene Kaczynski teaches University of Delaware and Pius Chang coming from the University of Oregon. So, hey, welcome in no particular order, say hello.
3: Hi, uh, I'm Gene, I teach at University of Delaware. And yes, we are friends. Uh, thanks, Casey. And I hope I could uh, live up to the wonderful introduction. <laughs> thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, you bet, buddy. Yeah, we do have to clarify that we're friends. Go ahead and clarify that, Pius
3: friend
4: (laughs) you used the term broadly man
0: (laughs) a little broadly
3: yeah
4: all right so i'm pious yeah you know casey and i went to school together i think a lot of you know that and you know we've been friends ever since uh and he's also close friends with uh erico daimo who happens to be my wife yay um she says hi by the way good I i met you much later but you know i think the way I met you, I like nerded out on YouTube and I'm like, who's this Gene Kaczynski? And I checked, started checking out your music and I couldn't stop for like two hours. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, <laughs> Like, this stuff is good. Oh, man. Thanks. And then I think, did I randomly
3: Facebook you?
4: I think I might have.
3: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But you you both, uh, Casey and Paisa, visited uh, yeah. where, when I taught in Minnesota and you know, the, the percussion circle is so small that we all kind of run into each other anyhow, uh, PASIC or a festival or something. And we all have students playing all of our stuff. So, yeah.
4: By well, like the 10th time I heard an auditioning student playing uh, kaleidos- Kaleidoscopio, I'm oh, I, I got to get in touch with this guy. Eugene, right?
0: <laughs> the two book. Yeah, the two book <clears throat> gets around here a whole lot. Yeah.
4: Nobody is playing White Knuckles Stroke, by the way.
0: <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That piece, that piece needs a break. Needs a little break for a little while. Well, I, I want to dive right into it because I know we could just be friendly and, and laugh kind of the whole hour. But, um, y- you know, I think as as composers and especially those of you, you like you said, doing doing master classes at various schools and things like that. I think you often get asked, you know, what inspires you as a composer and like where do your ideas come from? And we've had a lot of composers on this show. We've had this question come up in social media questions a lot, and as far as I can tell, like it's it's really hard to find this answer. And it, even you look at uh, like I remember George R R Martin answering this question. Right, he's the author of the very well known, famous Game of Thrones, and he just said you know, I don't know where ideas come from. I'm just glad they come. Uh, I, I like no, I mean, I can only assume they come from our environments and the things we read and the experiences we have. But really, like, it's, it's pretty mysterious, like, yeah, why would an idea just pop into your mind. So something I thought would be kind of useful for our, our young listeners, especially is like, what, what, ad, what advice can we give them when it's just saying, like, you know, where do you come up with your ideas?
4: Gene, you want to take this one?
3: Um, yeah, I'll start. I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a really hard question. and I couldn't agree more with uh, the answer that you've already stated. Um, although I think for me, it's, it's a product more of exploration. I'm always like experimenting with things, even if I'm not looking for an idea at the moment. Um, and the important part is through that process kind of documenting any idea that might come up so that you have um, a Rolodex, there's a dated term, a rolodex of information uh to draw from when you need those ideas um you could be for me like maybe I'm struck with an idea and it just sort of takes over and I want to write a whole piece but that is so rare Uh, I really have to work for ideas and work for I mean it's easy to be inspired but how does that translate into a specific idea that you're going to take and do something Um, With And for me, it's been through exploring instruments. Improvising is a lot of what I do, not necessarily in a, obviously, when I say improvising to one of my students, they always immediately think of, well, what are the changes? What's the tune? You know, how do I play vibes, you know, but really improvising in a way where there really are no boundaries and I'm walking around, you know, school or my studio clashing instruments together and, and seeing kind of what works and what kind of ideas I can come up with. Uh, sometimes I'm just sitting there and like you're mentioning, like watching a show or listening or reading or something like that, and a certain idea comes into mind, and maybe it's just like a germ of an idea, like, hey, what if this happened or what if that happened, and then I need to start from that point and begin to explore that little germ of an idea before it becomes an idea, um, and then from there, taking it even further, which is really the difficult part of composing for me It's really time consuming and and kind of hard work to sit down and really craft something together. I'm definitely not somebody that has been sort of blessed with just, you know, sit down with computer and I finish a piece and there it's done. For me, it's really hard work. And I think, um, you know, I'm always surprised that people find that a surprising thing that you actually have to sit down and work at it. Uh, to get inspired or to maybe you had an initial inspiration and it's a lot of work to take it from there and see it through
0: yeah cool Pius. what do you think about this
3: i mean uh,
4: very similarly i think we all agree i mean let's see initially i'd say that what gene talked about is already one step further for me that's like work already everything of those for me it needs to start from this like there's this gut feeling I want to say something like I can't explain that feeling it's got I don't know if it's emotional or physical it's just more like like I, I need to do that so it starts from that uh and I, I'm sure you guys agree with me too with that and then and then we have to you know like Gene said work really hard to figure out what happens like what do we do with that 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 need to say something and uh sometimes for me it's like sometimes it's a like, programmatic there's a story uh, sometimes it's just you know no story and then for in my case like uh, it's a lot of experiments like Jean said um, I also have like a, a, a bag of tricks that you know I, I'm ready to pull out but a lot of times I'm also I have to take time off writing too so I can study and then I can learn new things and then see how I can apply those new things. Which led to, you know, I pulled out a bunch of clips of my, some of my older compositions and like a bunch of them sounds really different. Uh, but then the base of it is still, you know, uh, part of my upbringing as a pianist, you know, with the good, good old romantic stuff. You know, the base is still there, but sometimes it gets diluted. And that's where the work comes in, like Gene said, is just chiseling slowly and slowly. And the, the older I get, the I find the harder it is to write. <laughs> like it's the, it takes longer. and then. Partly because of the language I'm choosing, it takes longer now, but um, it's just, I think that's just part of the journey of getting older.
0: Do you think that's because your opinion is like, it's harder to impress yourself because you know more, you're smarter, you're wiser?
4: I I don't, I I don't know about smarter and wiser. I'm just, I, I, for me in my particular case, it's because of language, like, Mm. uh, Using I uh, much younger I used like very very tonal like semi chromatic language that's you know easy to write I mean I can hear all those in my head now I'm doing clusters and I really gotta go to the piano and like try it out to see how things clash and then ask some friends to try see you know a cluster on piano sounds very different from the cluster from strings. Um, sign-
3: I kind track, of agree right with now
4: you. Now yeah, go ahead.
3: I ca- I kind of agree with you, Pius. I think for me it's harder because I'm trying to do something I haven't done before. And because it's so easy to fall into oh I've, I've already done that I can like finish this piece out just by doing the same old thing but. and and probably my stuff all sounds the same anyways that's fine, but i'm really trying to do something new i'm trying to do something I haven't done before. And that just sort of is just sitting here staring at the screen sometimes or thinking about this or that or um, the hard thing to do is composed or throwing throwing away all sorts of ideas that you thought were cool and that's the difficult thing.
2: Yeah. So, well, I was wondering, as a percussionist, I've heard Casey and Gordon Stout both kind of talk about this extensively, that oftentimes uh, some sort of physical gesture and playing uh, gets made into a piece. And we've all heard good pieces like that and also not so good pieces like that. And so, Gene, when I think of your two book or Pius, when I think of your etudes, they're addressing certain uh, technical issues, but in a very musical way. And I guess my question is, how do you avoid pigeonholing yourself into some sort of strictly technical etude that doesn't really have musical value to it?
3: Pius, go for it.
2: Uh,
4: Well, I'm kind for me, at least I think of myself as the antithesis of that. Most of my music doesn't come from the physical gesture uh that 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 two like for instance an etude in e minor that actually was not figured out on the keyboard that was just in my head uh and then let's see and a lot of times actually i have to go backwards i write the music first and then i work out like what what feels good and then sometimes i need to make adjustments so for me it doesn't work that way uh except recently i i am writing you know uh two books of four and a third and marimba pieces then and that. For those pieces i'm specifically addressing some technical issues or pedagogical things that I want to address, Uh, but normally no I don't really do with like what feels good and then it comes out piece.
3: yeah for me it's kind of kind of the same I think some pieces are like the two book I thought um, there there were maybe um, a couple of pieces that existed before I decided to write a whole book and then from that point I was sort of filling in some gaps like oh maybe I need this kind of piece or that kind of piece something that does a technical thing something that's more expressive and so you know going into it thinking about that before I'm actually writing it but I would say I would say 95% of everything that I do though is really trying to think about the music or even potentially the presentation of it rather than um, the technical difficulty it just turns out to be a certain technical difficulty at some at some degree, but I I don't ever go into a piece thinking, oh, I need to make sure that this is hard enough or easy enough or anything like that.
1: Yeah. So going back, you know, to Casey's original question, which is, I think people ask how do you get your ideas, but what they're really asking sometimes is, hey, I have like, I have some ideas and I want to be a composer. I want to write some music, but like, how do you compose? You know, they, they kind of like, I feel like so many people have either technical ideas or musical ideas or both, and just don't know how to like, get them on a page and get it into something that other people can play. So I guess um, to, to part two of Casey's question from me is what advice do you have for maybe our younger listeners who want to start composing, how to just like sit down and start to get things on paper and, and out of their minds?
4: Well, I got an ad here. Like come to the beta percussion 2022 where Gene and Casey and me and Erico and Yuda will all be faculty then. You'll find out there.
0: That was classy, Pius.
4: Yep. Nice. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that's just all work, all practice, trial and error. A lot of trial and error, I think. Casey and Gene, you all go through this. Just try it. And then if it doesn't work, try it again.
0: Well, and I think um, yeah, I, th- I think another good way to ask this, where I was going to go next, is like, okay, they're sitting in front of their computer. What do they do? And I think Gene, or computer, or instrument, piano, whatever, can uh, had and paper. Gene already said he he likes to experiment, you know. And and again, he didn't say improvise. He said experiment. And of course, those those are, you know, very very related in a lot of ways. But I, I think it um it it kind of leads into uh, another question, which is. Again pertaining to something gene said about throwing ideas away like so in that experimentation, you end up throwing a lot away and what I wanted to ask next is like okay you're experimenting you're you're making sketches you're jotting stuff down when do you decide an idea is good enough to commit to paper.
3: I think um, if it's something that immediately or over time clicks with me like I think I could design a piece around it, perhaps it has a certain potential to do something else or provides um, a pathway to other ideas that I have you know, then I think it might be something to go with and sometimes i'm just flying blind like I just start a piece and I don't know what's going to happen, and I need to figure out. um, And that, like you said Casey that might be you know halfway through might be like you know I need to trash this whole thing and that's sort of a devastating moment or at least table it you know uh, keep it I have hard drive full of, you know, ideas and things that probably will never do anything. Um, But it's a really great way to document, you know, if you're trying to get started doing it, you know, there's that old adage of, you know, writing every day and waking up and I'm going to write an eight bar melody, I'm going to write, you know, four bars of a string quartet and just the process of doing it is going to get the creative, you know, creative going. Um, But yeah, I think just if the piece has, if the idea has some potential, and one thing that I like to do is if I come up with a, an idea or a theme or something that I like I really put it under the microscope and I. Ca- try to dissect it like what do I like about it, what is it about this that I think is. groovy or I like the melody or what is it about it is there a certain rhythm um, interval relationship, is it the instrumentation, whatever it might be, and then I see if I can propel that idea into other ideas or stretch it out over a whole piece and. um, One of the best things I I think is trying to hear your ideas as a a third party on the outside so recording them or listening back somehow is a really great way to see if it actually connects with you and playing for other people. um, is also something really, really helpful i'm lucky enough to have a friend you guys. He, the, the Tim, who plays in the duo with me, I could play just about anything for him, and he'll be like 100% straight up, mostly hating everything that I do, and just telling me straight up like, yeah, this is cool, or what if you tried this, or that's that's terrible, you need to just move on. And it's great to have somebody that will be honest with you, um, like a teacher or a friend that like you can really trust is going to give you the straight answer.
0: I like that you said... Um know what you like and know what's good because um yeah yeah part of part of my answer to this would have to be um you got to be in touch with like when identifying something as good, <laughs> you know, like because there's a that we, we talked, gosh, I think we spent a whole episode talking about like what does good really mean and how complicated a question that really is, and how everyone has a different definition of what you're even talking about. You say, like, oh, that piece was good, it's like that can mean a whole lot. So, I, I mean, I think, um, like I believe Pius said, you know, part of writing is also studying other things and studying other music it's like can you look at a piece of music and recognize what's happening in it but you also recognizing like what it triggers in yourself can you recognize like what excites you or if it doesn't excite you or etc anyway Pius, what's, what's your answer to this like when, when do you commit something to paper when do you know ah this is a good idea this is what i'm going to keep I
4: don't, that, that i mean i don't have much to add to gene already covered most of it but I think I, I commit fairly early and then I erase fairly early too. I mean, I just did that like two weeks ago. I was texting you guys, like I, I'm writing this piece is for two doors. Uh, and then like three days later I'm like, yeah, that, that, that idea got trashed. Uh, and like Jean, I have error code to, to, you know, give, give me like reality check. Sometimes, sometimes I go down a rabbit hole and I don't know. It's a lot. Most experiments, Uh, uh, same as Gene, I have a lot of stuff that's you know back burner ideas on my hard drive that's that uh, I might not use for now but then I might recycle later Uh, I'm actually doing that right now Um, right now I'm working really hard on a dual percussion concerto with Chinese orchestra of traditional Chinese instruments and I just finished reading the book on Chinese instruments Uh, so that that's going to be a hard experiment and and you know, some of those ideas of stuff I have tried before and some are new.
0: I think that's something a lot of people don't know about you, Pius. Like you're way more studious and academic than you pretend to be. And then you let people know. <laughs> like you you're actually very serious, <laughs> like when it comes to yeah, you know, when it comes to what you do. Yeah. Big secret. My, my,
4: my students know it. I nerd out quite a bit in front of them and I count tone rows with them and they go
0: uh huh. Well, and um, you know, you you've both said there's a lot of hard work involved, and one thing that comes to mind is uh, if someone isn't practicing, you know, just playing. You say, um, for instance, you know, I'm not inspired to practice. What do I do? It's like, well, you you practice anyway. You know, it's like it's like not too many people are saying, uh, you know, like, oh, if I could just find the inspiration to practice. It's like, well, well, no, you 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 do it whether you really want to or whether you really don't. You just kind of got to do it. And for some reason, I I don't think we we think of composition that way, but but maybe we should. in kind of a more like formalized time set aside, whether stuff comes to you easily or not. Well, you, you still you still you're going to do some work. Yeah, Ksenia.
1: Um, sort of latching onto the idea that it's hard to define what is, what is good. I wonder if, from both of you, Jean and Pius, do you find that the works of yours that are most sold or so most popular are your creatively like best endeavors in composition and i wonder could you please elaborate gene shook his head first
3: you mean my bassoon and cajon piece no way (laughs) pretty
2: good piece piece.
3: i I hate that thing i mean it's fun to play but i mean I, i i would never imagine a million years it would be as popular as but but also I didn't realize how terrible the bassoon solo repertoire was so <laughs> for me, I, I think of a piece and like oh, this is going to be awesome and I think it's so great and then it you know it's sort of like crickets, you know, in terms of some of it has to do with you know if it's. Um, you know, a lot of weird instruments or techniques that no one wants to like spend the time doing or it's a, an odd instrumentation or something like that, but. You know, some of it also has to do with there's not a cool YouTube video of it so nobody knows about it that kind of weird um, thing as well, so it's it's always really interesting I don't know if you if you all agree, like what people are going to gravitate toward um, you know what might fit.
0: Well, it seems like a really good move with your pieces gene in particular that you you get uh with found objects or objects that are very easy to get, you get that whole like, hey, this is like a whole new thing, but really you need like a marble and a glass. You know, you don't need like this particular gong that like nobody has,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know, because a lot of composers do that. They write for like this exact set of gongs or this exact set of crystal glasses or whatever. And it's just like, I, well, I mean, that, 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 that might be a great piece, but um, yeah. Don't expect. uh, Don't expect many people to do it. What's your answer to that, Pius?
4: My my, my E minor Etude. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it's for me. I think I I tend to like what I'm working on, and then I move on, and I start hating it, and then after a while, I kind of like give up. And all right, so that that's that's part of my pass. Yeah, no, I think my most sold, of course, is the E minor Etude, but you know, I. I'm not in love with it. I can understand why people want to play it, and you know, uh, Casey was actually the first one that played it when we were in school. Uh, and he made that YouTube video, and then that was before the first like four bars or no two bars was written. It just uh,
0: started, yeah.
4: Yeah, it just started, and then later, later, I uh, Erico said you need something to go in, and then I added two bars, and that was it.
0: And now uh, I get but, comments, people saying like, "You're not even playing it right." you skipped the first player. you skipped the whole <laughs> opening <laughs> me
3: out.
4: but yeah um let's see there's uh i think that my marimba concerto is called Prin- princess Changping. that's getting some played uh maybe partly the problem is the, the title princess Changping. so so far everyone that's played it has been asian women so i'm <laughs> like i played it myself once uh but, you know, I'm, I'm hopefully, eventually, hopefully, to diversify my performer of that piece. Uh, but, you know, that piece, there's some stuff I still like. There's, there's some stuff I, I, I'm not particularly fond of. But, you know, it's uh, my the, the piece that I still like quite a bit right now is Synced Unsynced that we wrote for a Beta. You know, what was that? Was that last year? Last year. That was last year. Yeah. Well, well that one's free, so I don't know how much it sells. People download it's it zero dollars. Yeah. Really. yeah, it's we just take it. <laughs> I still like it, so.
0: it. It seems like when there is an internet catch component to selling, it, like your piece Ewan that we did here. This is piano solo and four mallet instruments and some auxiliary percussion around them. I, th- I mean, I think that's just fantastic. But you wouldn't. I wouldn't know what the catch for the internet would be. You know, yeah, I I haven't even sold
4: it. I can't imagine that one selling very much. (laughs)
0: it too yeah it just seems like that's uh you know we need that so much to get stuff out there but the nature of the internet is also people only watch for a very limited amount of time mm-hmm. uh, when they're browsing for stuff
4: yeah and yeah. i think that's part partly the problem with my recent music it's mostly slow gesture so it's not very youtube friendly <laughs> no one's gonna sit there for like 10 minutes to listen to a crescendo
0: mm, yeah Yeah. uh, And that's what it is. I mean, I feel like that piece, it's so much crunch to building to the piano uh, uh, cadenza in the middle, the piano solo in the middle, which is just like, it's one of the most beautiful moments in music I'm aware of. But that's partly because you had to sit through eight minutes of crunch ahead of time. And if you just started in the middle, yeah, no, it wouldn't be so beautiful. It's the the lead up that, that leads up to it. So... I'll edit that out, I don't want to compliment. Yeah, thank you.
4: I I feel very uncomfortable with your
3: compliments.
0: Yeah, I know it feels really unnatural.
3: Yeah. (laughs) But that that leads to like a whole um, discussion, like a whole other discussion about how the aesthetic of the repertoire has changed because of the way that people access uh, the media. Uh, It's really, really interesting. You know, I mean, how many like four minute groove pieces do we all hear our students want to play, you know? Um, and, and trying to show them how this, this Stockhausen piece is super cool because you have to wait 30 minutes for it to unfold and they're like, well, I don't have 30 minutes. I got to go, you know, mm-hmm. so um, I, you know, and, and even, you know, I admit I'm even kind of the same. Like, I remember being a student and really sitting in the audience and loving all of that stuff. But now I'm sort of like living this frantic life where I'm just like, if it's not a super quick message, I, you know, I I'll try to figure it out later. I'm not good with that, so it's a really weird um, scenario we're in. And I do think it has impacted the way that I write music, the way that I think about proportion and like how long the piece should be and when the ideas should change. You know, what's going to keep people attracted to listening to this? So it's it's interesting.
4: Yeah, I got a question. I don't know. Is that okay if I ask a question?
3: <laughs> it's, well,
0: we'll try it out. I, mean, I bet it won't work, but you should just try it No, no, it. We'll no, no probably, this is actually
4: a good one.
0: We'll probably like, edit it
4: out, but go ahead. Uh, do, 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 you, do you write differently for yourself versus writing for other people?
3: you asking me? Are you asking everybody? Both? Everyone. Everybody. Um. I think for a long time, I was just writing for myself to play anyways, because I, I wouldn't imagine anyone would be interested in playing it. So um, and it, since everything just started for, um, you, you know, just I didn't even consider, I still don't consider myself a composer, by the way, I, I never had any formal training. So I have this um, imposter syndrome every time I sit down and try to do something, I just can't think about, you know, like, and even if I have a composition student that comes up to me saying, hey, can I get a composition lesson? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't know what to do. I have no idea what that is. Um, and so it, it always has been kind of like with with me in mind or me and Tim playing a duo or, and if it's not me, who's going to play this? And I think about them. It's not just sort of like, I'm going to play a Marimba piece that'll go on the Texas All-State list. You know, I'm not going to, I have, you know, that's not really in my mind. So it's, and I think you guys are the same, right? Because when you, case uh, Pius and Casey, when you, first started playing stuff, your own stuff and recording your own things, right? And you would play each other's uh, pieces, of course, but.
0: I think actually Ksenia described it really well when she was talking about her Stravinsky project. She said uh, very comically, but uh, but also very well, like, I love this piece. I just want to like be in it all the time. I like want to be, everything about it, I really want to absorb and be. I feel like writing is is sort of like that. And and you only Finish that by also performing it, too. Like, you get to that completion point by also playing. And uh, so, yeah, my answer for Pius is, yeah, definitely. Like, I, I know myself very much. I know what I can do well. And, and I don't just mean, like, physically or technically. I mean just, like, what I can sell well. It's sort of like the same way you choose a piece. It's, it's not like you... Um, and, and that's back to going going back to being in touch with what you consider good. There's a lot of pieces out there. It's like, man, I know that's an excellent piece, but I can't see myself playing it. Like, I wouldn't do it great. That's that's not for me. I can't do that one the way I can do this other one. So it's like the same way you choose a piece, like, wow, I know exactly what to do with that. Even if you saw like a not so good performance of it, you still might be able to go like, ooh, ooh, ooh I know what to do with that. I can I can do that really, really well. I know exactly how I would do it. So I think writing for yourself is sort of the... The same. It's in the same mode, you know. Mm-hmm. It's in the same area.
4: think Ksenia Stravinsky project is pretty awesome. I watch it. Yeah, very Thanks. much. Very awesome. Very cool.
0: Yeah. See.
1: <laughs> can I have that on loop, like framed in my bedroom or something?
0: You control the Instagram. You can do it. <laughs> Doesn't Instagram have that boomerang feature?
1: I, I'll do that. I'll do it that. Does, oh, it okay. goes back
0: and forth. You could do that. Hey, well, I I was uh, asked you both if you could share something with us, whether it's a little screen share or a little recording. And I don't know, just, I I didn't say what specifically to tell us, but if you could just, I don't know, share some of your music with us. Let's see a score. Let's uh, teach us a compositional trick or show us how you did something. And I think, let's see, uh, I've given Pius Chang screen sharing privileges with much regret. But they're there. So why don't you go first, Pius if you're ready?
4: Oh, I'm trying really hard to resist showing funny stuff, but all
0: right, you're doing a good so, job. Uh,
4: I mean, I think this could be a good chance. I mean, people, I think most people know my E minor E2 that knows my music. but there's actually a lot of other languages I write in, and I go through different periods of experimenting. Uh, this is the first period of experimenting after, you know, that romantic stuff. It's still kind of the romantic stuff. This is the Mirba Concerto I talked about earlier. This is the first time I actually started using some uh, Chinese musical idioms that I didn't know I knew. Uh, but and then after studying, I did study a, a little bit with some composers like Bright Shang and uh, Jennifer Higdon uh, and David Ludwig, who is now Dina Juilliard. So Bright Chang, I I worked with a lot playing his music and with his influences, I started digging a little bit with the Chinese music. So here's a little excerpt of, of course, played by Eric Odaimo. the idea though the whole video is on youtube uh so feel free to check it out and then let's see there's some other chinese things this is much later it's it's a piece called heaven and earth and actually princess champion and heaven and earth were both both originally commissioned by the jew percussion group after that there have been many different versions many different revisions uh this is like the concerto version of him uh, we don't have time i won't share this but this is the Bali version. You can still see some Chinese stuff, and then, but then the good old romantic stuff is still in there pretty hard. Uh, and then, and then I started experimenting with minimalism a little bit, what we commonly referred to as minimalism, uh, just because for like it's probably like seven years after I started teaching, I still didn't understand Steve Reich's music, and I I wanted to understand why like my students liked it so much. So I started studying so much about like minimalist music and I I started digging it. So Uh, yeah, we don't have that much time. So this is the short excerpt of Yuan that Casey was talking about earlier. this one was actually fun to write this type of music was fun to write because there's so much math in it. Uh, and then it's, it's, I kind of like set a formula and just kind of let the music go. And then at some point I started breaking the formula, but, uh, so that, that becomes a little fun to write, but then, you know, this, this is like long gestures music. So again, not fit for YouTube. Uh, Let's see, and then I started dabbling in some non-pitch progression, the multi-piece, some, a bass drum solo, and then, oh, and then this is 12 tone slash minimalist, like ma- mashed together. Uh, maybe I'll show the 12th tone bit. So that that's you know uh, speaking of we, where how we worked our materials this method like that uh, analysis of that uh, breakdown just now that twelve tone thing was straight from Boulez, uh, and just do you know a drum set on top of it. The tone roll, of course, was mine, uh, and then here's another experiment thing of unsync. This is synced and unsynced for beta. This is also still twelve tone, but. Um, Free instrumentation kind of so if if I had to compare this to like to this, sometimes I'm not sure really what happened there. <laughs> But you know that these are some experiments of part of my recent things. Oh, and this is the four and a third marmo book. This this is etude number two called Cotton Candy. Uh, it's not published yet, so only my students have seen it. You know, as you can see, this is very simple. It's for you know learning how to play lyrical and legato without much interval changes.
0: Have you ever had cotton candy?
4: <laughs> Once. <laughs> Once. Okay. It's very good. It's yeah, just sugar. That's
3: once <laughs>
0: once yeah but that's kind that's of you see like why I, I was right browns. to ask
1: excellent follow-up question casey yeah
0: thank you i know all that substance and then yeah have you had cotton yeah, yeah cotton <laughs> well, well well real quick before we go to gene i mean Pius, why why how would you answer that question like you know how did you get from here to all the way to there i don't know i i'm
4: still trying stuff so I think at some point I do want to narrow down on one language that I can really perfect. But right now I haven't really found a comfort zone yet. So I'm still going to try experimenting.
0: It's uh, neat. We opened with John Cage because in that obituary was a quote from him saying, I just never wanted to write the same thing again. Yeah. Um, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. It's maybe that's part of the, the fuel that keeps you going and kept him going, you know, maybe, but you know,
4: my recent, scuff with myself as you know i'm looking at all this stuff you know i've for it's it's like learning a language like i feel like i've dabbled in chinese english french russian and a little bit a little bit everything but i haven't perfected any language so i think my next step is to really you know find one and just get good at it first before moving on to another one i haven't decided which one yet
0: yep yep cool cool gene do not you share something
3: so I have a, a couple of things. Um, there's a new piece that I did with um, my duo. We actually wrote it together um, during the pandemic. Uh, we were not physically together, but we were thinking about something that we could could do. So we wrote this piece called "Long Exposure. And uh, it was sort of a different type of piece for us because it was more based on you know mild theatrical elements and swishing this um, switch in the air to generate sound. It's not a new idea. Um, uh, we were sort of inspired by people like uh, Stockhausen and Mauricio Kagel who have some really great theatrical works that are much uh, b- um, beyond what this would be. And also even maybe Casey and some other uh, more contemporary composers that used body percussion and theatrical things like Thierry De Mai and all sorts of things like that. Um, but we wanted to create um, a piece similar to that um, and have this very synced idea. Um, But in talking about structuring a piece, this might be a good example because the entire like 12 minute piece is really this cycle of eight bars between these measures, and this is the theme here in the switch which shows. um, The switch moving down or up and then sort of like windshield wipers and then in a triangular format and then in circular format, Um, but the piece begins. With basically silence like none of these notes are actual sound they're just head movement or. Hand movement. And so keeping in sync that theme as you play the entire piece, um, sort of like drumming or Steve Reich piece like that, even though there's silence, there's a lot happening up here. Um, and we're always inspired by things like that as well. Um, and the piece goes on by adding more and more body percussion or taking it away, or then the two parts, um, you know, separate and go different ways. And then uh, these Zaboomba drums come in which are Brazilian um, Brazilian bass drums. So the switch part, kind of idea and then we play on uh Zaboomba drums so we use the switch on but we're playing basically the material derived from the switch pattern that we created so basically we created the switch part first you know and we really spent a ton of time actually in this this creating this thematic material and there's probably dozens of different Eight bars that we had, and like, no, let's move this note here, let's move this one there, and this will work better when it's on the drum, and this will work better when it's on the cymbal, and things like that. Um, and so, once we had that, we could then basically loop that entire um, eight bars over and over and over again and try to fill in exactly what we want to do within the macro that we had in mind. Um, and then we start. Doing the switch, and we have handbells, and the handbells are mirroring what we were doing with our body percussion, but now there's sound to it. And then we play the Zaboomba drums with the handbells. there that was like a really great exercise for us to see if we could basically devise an entire piece a long ish piece um off of very simple materials and using recycling the materials over and over again literally or just changing just the smallest thing and to see if we can keep our interest um and so i've done uh this is sort of a newer type of thing obviously some of my older pieces are you know a simple two mallet Etude or um, some snare drum music that I was trying to get creative with and choose some different implements and things like that. Um, but I've been more recently really interested in writing for um, mixed chamber or large ensemble type things. So this piece, Free Spins, is with bass clarinet and tape. I got these tape sounds from, well, I didn't get, I just collected all these tape sounds of casinos and slot machines and all sorts of. Uh, things that are involved in casinos like the bingo hall collar and things like that, and I created a four movement piece uh, utilizing those as inspiration, you know so sort of one little like click of the roulette wheel would create basically this entire movement of you know three minute piece. I should ex- explain I found this crazy guy on YouTube talking about his roulette strategy and all these words are. Basically trying to convince you how to win at roulette, which is crazy already, because it's obviously luck. Um, but I s- use the structure of this piece. The words are not really edited. It seems like I've chopped up and edited them in crazy ways, but this guy is really, really bizarre.
0: 37, and 7 is 39, and so forth, and so on. the other side of the board, you have 39, and you have 37, and you have 39, so this whole side of the board is 39, 37. This represents this. 6 times 3 is 18, 7 times 3 is 21, 73, 9, 63, the moons of Jupiter, becomes 46, Zion, Israel.
3: It becomes 136, right? 136 is the touchdown. 136 to touchdown, 613 to Laws of Moses. Okay, we interlocked 19 inside this area, 25, 10, okay, It's 21. It's on YouTube if you want to check it out. Um, but I, I can watch, I can, I just remember listening to this over and over again and being like, man, I got to do something with this because this guy, I keep going back to this guy, like I'm drawn to this guy. Obviously, there's no pitch or anything to it, but I, I got the tempo of the roulette wheel and then I got him on top and it just sort of snowballed from there. Um, and the other movements are very different, but they're all based on drawing from a particular slot machine or a little jingle here and there and kind of using that as inspiration to to create so. I don't know that's kind of where I'm at now like really experimenting with finding cool things in nature like this slot machine thing or exploring my instruments and finding something that doesn't exist already. Um, and, and that's kind of where i'm at.
0: Wow good choices gene I love both of those. That's really, really, really cool. I'm so glad you shared a little notation from long exposure because I hear often like, "How do you notate graphic stuff?" So hopefully you guys saw that on YouTube. I mean, just um, yeah, just the imp- in implementation of graphic notation, and also just kind of shows you uh, th- the importance of having a mastery of like, however you're notating, whether it's even if it's by hand, like you need to have control of that. You know, because I've encountered several people that that sometimes is the thing that gets them. It's like I phys- I literally can't get this to paper. You know, I can't do it by hand in a way that I'm happy with. And I'm spending so much time at the computer. Um, I don't know. Uh, we're going to move to social media questions real quick. But any quick advice, just like mastering the notation software? Because I think a lot of people really that is like a humongous hurdle.
3: For me, I, th- I don't I don't know I, I have questions a lot and I just go down the rabbit hole like searching on Google like how do I do this in finale, you know and and teaching yourself and remembering. Um, that that's my best advice I don't have great advice and i'm not i'm not really good at it, to be honest, I just try to figure out exactly what I need to do and kind of go from there.
0: So, you don't just go like, oh crap, I don't know how to do that. I guess I'm I'm hosed.
3: <laughs> no, I'll ask one of you maybe or ask might. somebody that might know. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Good. No, that's, I think that's what you people can, need to hear. You can talk
4: about that at beta next year. Notation. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I, I don't do any of that stuff. So, I, I, a lot of times I have questions. I text Casey.
0: Mm. I have them sometimes. Yep, yep. Hey, well, uh, we have some social media questions. We're going to move towards wrap. These are kind of like rapid fire. You know, you guys haven't seen these questions yet, and I think some of them we we've probably covered already. So maybe we won't answer them. We'll just thank thank the askers and hope they'll ask again. But uh, Ksenia, I think you're going to handle that for me.
1: Yep. So, first of all, thank you to Jade Hales and some Mad Vibes from Instagram for asking questions that uh, we've already answered about your process. But um, the first one that we haven't talked about is from DJ Orson Beats, who says, how have the signature tropes slash common motifs of your music changed over time? So your signature moves, <laughs> how have they changed? We know that a, a pious likes elbow turns, right?
3: What do you mean by compositional tropes or actual physical moves? Like,
1: good question. I I'll let you interpret however you <laughs> want to. Announce. I
0: think they. I think he means like the like the things that kind of identify you, which is which is hard because when someone asks that, they might not know your whole catalog. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, it's tough.
1: Maybe the, the whole question of like your bag of tricks that Pius says you know he has maybe how has that changed over time?
4: Do I have a signature move?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. It's just like chromatic. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> chromatic.
1: Flight of the bumblebee.
0: Everywhere.
4: <laughs> just keep repeating until people get so sick of it and and, and they can't <laughs> get it out of their heads.
3: Yeah. I don't know if I have a great answer for that. I, I try to like do it better, you know, like all right, this works, but it's sort of like upgrading a car. Like I already had that car. How do I get a better one next time? <laughs> for right. me, if like, go back to like, I'm, I'm so trained in like
4: classical piano, like a lot of times I can't get away from it. So I like, I'm trying really hard to get away from like those sequences and stuff, but you know, sometimes it still makes it back. up. So. I try to get it there and like break stuff. And yeah, I think maybe that. I mean, if
0: I can answer for you a little bit pious and tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like, like when we look at music history and it goes from the, uh, the the tonal, but crunchier and crunchier and crunchier and more dissonant, more dissonant, more dissonant, until you arrive at something like cluster chords, like you mentioned in the latest stuff. I mean, people could almost just look at you to see that same music history, chronology. Like I've seen that in you, it seems like your stuff has just gotten crunchier and crunchier and crunchier. And you found different ways to think just as hard about the new stuff and utilize the same amount of composition, time and energy as you did with the old stuff.
4: Yeah, maybe. Thanks, man.
0: I mean, it's not. That doesn't make it good. I mean, that doesn't make it any good or anything. It just means you took all that, that energy. Oh, I, I understood
4: style. that as compliment. I don't well, care.
0: Well, <laughs> it was. It was left. It's left to be interpreted. <laughs> all right, Ksenia, what, What's next?
1: Um, and the next one is from Jesse Guo, who asked Gene if you're going to do your full speed back playback and snare <laughs> <a> drum piece.
3: <laughs> That was, uh, I was really bored. Actually, I was I was kind of bored and I saw this guy with the speed bag um, and I was like, wow, this is so cool. The the first time I heard it, I heard like a whole drum cadence and like in my head. I was like, man, this is amazing. I didn't even know this existed. So I went down the rabbit hole like watching this guy and he's like, a, he's a baller of, of the speed bag world. I had no idea, but no, I mean, I that is something I forgot about like the day after it happened, but I'm so glad that I did it because it was it was a cool process to like transcribe that in, and play. That's funny.
1: It, I it's remember. Cool. But people, people want it. So people want to see that. People yeah. want it. Obviously. <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's, it's the next cajon and bassoon. <laughs> um, I just need to add bassoon to that, I guess. I don't know.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. Well, awesome. Thanks. I think that's it for questions, Ksenia. Thanks everyone for your questions. Yeah, please, we'll we'll try to always uh, include uh, even if it's just a little rapid fire here at the end. But yeah, thanks as always for your questions, and I think that's it. So yeah, welcome back to uh, we're kind of call it season two, even though season one lasted about six and a half years, maybe seven years, something like that. Season two won't be that long. And uh, Gene, Pius, great to see you. We'll catch you uh, at Beta Percussion Seminar next uh, year for sure. But uh, hopefully I catch you long before that.
3: Definitely. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course, buddy. Carly, Ben, Ksenia, thanks so much for for adding fuel to the flames here. Much, much appreciated and needed. And uh, all right, everybody, we'll catch you episode uh, 293. So take care.